Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 31. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. We are about six weeks away, uh, less than that now, I guess, four weeks away from the midterm elections, 2018 elections. Tremendous potential to change the way that people in the executive branch do their jobs. What are the most important things that people don't think about, don't pay attention to during an election cycle in the executive branch that you think they should? Federal agencies are generally reluctant to engage Congress to the degree they should mm-hmm. in getting their jobs done. And so they're not they're they're not paying that much attention to who's in the minority or majority. And when that changes, the priorities change. So in my view, you're going to see if the Democrats get a majority of the House and or the Senate, um, a lot more oversight and investigation than you're seeing from a Republican-controlled House and Senate today. We're going to take a look today at what the likely or possible outcomes are and what the implication is on those potential outcomes for the people who are doing these jobs in the executive branch That's every right. day. We're focused on government arcana. And the you know this town is uh, spends a lot of its energy focused on elections. We've got one coming up. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about what federal agencies, employees should be paying attention to, what's likely to happen. Introduce me to your friends. Well, I'm so delighted to have these bigwigs. First of all, my dear friend and colleague, uh, Mary Moore Hamrick. She's the managing principal of public sector mm-hmm. for Grant Thornton. So she's real big way. She your boss? She's one of my bosses. No, no, no. I'm managing principal of public policy. I don't want to take over for Carlos. Oh, did Paul. I say public sector? Yes, public policy. Yes, so public she runs policy. our public policy, our advocacy activities at Grant Thornton. Thanks for being on the show. Great to be here, Robert. And Rich Goodstein, um, uh, who is going to give us all the insights um that he can share and predictions about what's going to happen tell us tell us about what you do rich so i do a little bit of what uh, mary moore does my i have a range of clients um, big companies and trade associations for whom i do legislative regulatory work um, as both a lawyer and lobbyist and kind of i have like a side life which is i do commentary on cable news shows from time to time where they bill me as a quote, democratic strategist, which is close enough. It basically <laughs> it basically signals you're going to get the democratic line from this guy. So if that's what you want or you don't, that's what you're going to hear. Take it away, Rich. So it's that's like, It's like my happens. wife says, you know, don't tell people you're a consultant because no one knows what that means. Exactly. Exactly. Well, welcome. It's terrific to have both of you Thank here. You, um, let's start with the midterms as everybody, I think, thinks about them. And that is... There's we hear talking about waves and this and that. What do you see when you look at the individual races and how that comports to what happens then when the new Congress is seated in January and how what Robert just talked about a couple of minutes ago about how that affects the way people in the executive branch do their jobs? Well, it really comes down in the House. Can the Democrats win 23 seats to flip 
uh, from the Republicans that have a majority now. But in the midterms, when we've had a unified government across the White House, the Senate, and the House, typically at midterms you lose 25 seats. Mm-hmm. Well, Democrats only need 23. And when President Obama had this situation um, back in 2010, uh, he had a 45% approval rating and lost 63 seats. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't think the history bodes well for President Trump and the Republican Party. The number that I think is the most interesting that I've seen in the last week or so about this is, I don't remember where this was, but it was one of the nonpartisan analysts who pays attention to this stuff. And the rule of thumb now apparently is if you're a Republican running in a district that President Trump won by 10 points or less, you're in trouble. You think that's a fair estimate at this point, Rich? Because that's a really big map. I would actually say it's more than 10, and here's why. If you look at all the special elections, the actual general elections that we've had since November of 2016, House races where in Georgia where uh, a congressman went into the uh, administration or others that were vacant, uh, the gubernatorial race in Virginia, et cetera. We've had several. And from the 2016 outcome to what you saw in those special elections, I would say across the board, the Democrats have basically been about a 15-point better performance than what they had during the 2016 general election. So I would say if you're a Republican House member in a district that you won by 15 or under, not just 10, you need to be running hard uh, because you can't take anything for granted. But it's too late a month out, isn't it? Well, Aren't it, these, are, don't these races but, but get wired? But we knew wired? that. I mean, look, I, I think there, in some respects, there were some Republicans that were kind of whistling past the graveyard because they for what latched onto one variable or another. But the principled thing you hear is, well, the polls didn't pick up Trump, so yeah, we maybe we show a little weakness now, but what do those pollsters know? Well, I'm not sure you know, that basically putting your head in the sand about data is a winning proposition. We'll see. <laughs> um, right now, again, you look at the, quote, generic ballot, and Democrats are running eight, nine points ahead. I think the conventional wisdom is at, at plus seven, Republicans might be able to hang on. Eight becomes dicey. Nine, really dicey. And ten, no way. Forget about it. I love that metaphor, whistling past the graveyard. Mm. The, um, I, think, I think this is repeating what you just said. Generally, there are a very limited number of seats that are actually competitive, right? We're talking about only like, about, only about thirty. Only about thirty. According to Charlie Cook, there are thirty races that both the House uh, Republicans and the and House Democrats, their parties are pouring all of their millions into about 30 races at this point in time. And so is that a bigger pool or a smaller pool than generally happens during the midterms? Rich, do you know? Uh, I think actually the pool is a bit bigger, which is to say if you look at the – I mean, I, th- I think Mary Moore is right. That's what Charlie says. But if you actually look at the races that are listed as kind of toss-up or lean one way or the other, and you look at the actual polls – uh, that we're seeing now kind of day to day, you have a lot of House Republicans that are seen as toss-up races that are behind 12 points or more in, in the actual polls. Now, again, um, Republicans are basically saying, ugh, fooey on the polls. We know how reliable they are. Uh, you know, I think their donors don't look at it that way. Their, their you know, opponents don't look at it that way. I think people, 
you know, a month out, as you say, this is actually starting to matter. People lock in, you know, not long after Labor Day. Are there some persuadables that you kind of wait until the last few weeks? Of course. But if you're, you know, flipping the calendar to October and you're down 10 points, odds are you're going to lose. And there's yeah. a lot of Republicans who are in that situation right now. So well, what, do you, what, do you t- what do you tell people about polls? The last, uh, the presidential election seemed to catch people by surprise. And um, people said that the polling was off. Yeah. So is there a, is there a lesson to be learned? Have, have we learned the lesson? Is there a particular source of polling data that you think is more reliable than others? Well, even just looking at polls, whether they're reliable or not, I would say I look at the trend in the polls. If you look, any, any poll that you look at, the trend each week has been towards the Democratic side of the ledger. More and more races are trending towards the Democratic side. And, and um, when re-estimates are done on those races, Across the board, uh, they're trending towards a, a more favorable environment for the Democrat than the Republican. Is that happening in the Senate side, too? We've talked about the House primarily, but are you seeing that in the Senate, too? Because there are some places where it looks like Republicans have a chance to pick up seats. I'm not suggesting that they're going to make huge gains, but Florida is one example well, where it looks like— Well, you mentioned it, right? So if you looked at the polls last week, uh-huh. what you said would have been true. But okay. this morning— Mary Moore and I were talking about it. There were two polls that came out within the past few days. Um, uh, Rick Scott is the incumbent governor running against Bill Nelson, the incumbent senator for the Senate seat. And Scott had been up by one, two, three points as of a week or so ago. There were two polls that came out just within the past couple days. One had the Democrat, Bill Nelson, up three. One had him up seven. Hmm. And also, uh, Andrew Gillum, the African-American who's uh, mayor of Tallahassee, who's running for governor, was, seemed to be a bit of a toss-up race against Ron DeSantis, who's a currently a, Congress, a Republican congressman. The last poll had Gillum up nine, mm-hmm. which is shocking. Yeah. I mean, it's almost to the point where it doesn't seem possible, but something's going on, and to, to Mary Moore's point. You know, the winds seem to be either blowing or picking up, uh, behind, you know, kind of in the Democrat sales, um, you know, could... Republicans hold on to the Senate, of course. Uh, if you look at uh, Nate Silver and the 538.com, which is which is in some respects kind of a touchstone for a lot of people in politics, he has the Demo- Democrats' chances of flipping the Senate at one in three. Um, he has the Democrats' chances of flipping the House at four in five, at 80%. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and just a footnote on the 2016 polls, the national polls... You, nobody knows this, were actually closer in 2016 than they were in 2012. Uh, the national polls had Hillary Clinton beating Trump by three or four points. She ended up winning by 2.2. Uh, the national polls had Obama beating Romney by one. He won by four. So the state polls, Michigan, Wisconsin, et cetera, the Clinton campaign either stopped polling there or what they diluted themselves there. But nationally, and again, Charlie Cook uh, would say this, the polls were actually clo- kind of more uh, on the target in 16 than they were in 12, but that absolutely runs against conventional wisdom, and it's one of these things where people are going to believe what every- they hear, and what they hear is, oh, the polls are off, what do they know? Mm. Yeah. Good insight. So, Robert, tie this back to what, I- I'm just say I'm sitting in an executive branch agency somewhere, and I'm not invested in the politics part of this, but I'm invested in the management part of this, how does all of what we're hearing 
affect the way that I should be thinking about strategy for running my organization in the next six months to a year. So hopefully you or your ledger affairs office, your budget office, has good personal relationships with the staff on the authorizing and appropriations committees. Um, those are those have the potential to flip uh, majorities, and that'll be a whole different crew of people you need to get to know, and and that me- and they will also have different priorities. So uh, whatever you're working on is going to be impacted by this change in focus on the hill if one of these bodies flips majority. If you don't have good relationships with those people now, though, this is a horrible time to start. I mean, I guess it's the best time to start if you haven't started, but... That's right. But those people may not exist. There's going to be new chairmen in those committees. Mm-hmm. They're going to hire new some old staff, but maybe new staff, mm-hmm. who might be completely new. So there'll be an opportunity to develop those relationships. Okay. What should we pay attention to in the days leading up to Election Day? The question is, what will happen to drive people to the polls on either side of the aisle? What do you think, Rich? Well, we'll see. Again, what happens, um, Kavanaugh-wise, again, anecdotally, one gets a sense that, that women um, have, have – who – suburban women who did vote for Trump um, seem to be abandoning the Republican Party in droves, and, and it's that delta that is going to change the outcome of a lot of these uh, House and Senate races – and if there's a sense uh, when the dust settles on Kavanaugh that um, his accuser and accusers were not treated respectfully and that somehow or other his approach was um, hostile to their point of view, that may further that. Or it could, frankly, if you're a Trump person and Kavanaugh's taking a very Trumpian line in, in, in these hearings, kind of basically reinforce your view that the establishment's out to get us, and we need to kind of show up and stand by our guy. So, I mean, it's, it's impossible to say right now, but, but I would answer your question again. If we see, again, the middle of October, uh, the polls are every bit as strong in the Democrats' direction as they are now, yes, people are going to be, re- you know, there's already articles on, well, who will be the chair of the various committees? Um, chances are, you know, likelihood, the minority staff director becomes the majority staff director of, you know, name the committee. I mean, there's obviously changes happen. It might be that the chief of staff for, you know, um, Congressman Neal on Ways and Means in his personal office becomes the staff director for the Ways and Means Committee, if it comes to that. But we kind of know these, at this point, if you've been a staffer to somebody who's going to ascend to the a chairmanship, you're not walking away unless right. you want to cash in. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, exactly. So I think that people really got to kind of look at their directories. And if, if again, you can always call people up and get together for coffee. And if, you know, if you're in an agency, um, legislative affairs or otherwise, people want to meet you. If, mm-hmm. if, if you hadn't really had much reason to be dealing with these people because the Republicans ran the show, uh, I think, frankly, the Democrats will feel like, yeah, this is probably something that should be happening, and I think they'd be happy to meet you. All right. Well, final thought is for you, from you, Robert. And what, um, what does all of this mean if there's a turnover in Congress, as we've discussed here today? What does all this mean for things like the reorganization effort that we talked about on last week's episode? Uh, all of these other things that the administration's trying to accomplish. Is it is all that stuff pretty much out the window for the next two years? There are two potential, probably complementary things happen. Um, number one is this is an area of bipartisanship. Government management and reform is a great area in which um, Republicans and Democrats can work together, and they've shown the ability to do that in some areas. 
Um, but I also think there's going to be such focus on oversight and investigation if the Democrats take the majority of either house um, that will that will distract from that. It will take a lot of time for agencies to comply with increasing number of requests. The investigations uh, um, are going to get pretty brutal um, if the investigative resources of those bodies move to the Democratic side. Mary Moore, Rich, thanks very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you guys on the program. Thank, Thank you, you for Francis. Having. Thank you as always, my friend. It's good great to, to see, see you. Good, good to be at 31. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.